Welcome back to Tesserai. I'm Steve, and joining me for the second week in a row, I've got my friend Steve Durgan joining us, talking about all things wellness. Um, and where we left off in our last conversation was around the idea of place and hoping that that could work us into another conversation on race. Those obviously could be their own discussions, but we're going to kind of fit them under this wellness topic um, and see where we can go. So starting off with place, Steve, tell me some thoughts. Yeah, I mean, I feel like this is just, you know, part of the DNA of this podcast at this point, I hope, right? Like these are pieces that we need to put together. So mm -hmm. I think um, where we were headed, you know, thinking about place, like geolocation, where you're born is a huge factor, like very determinative of uh, certain things in your life, right? So for me, um, my wellness, right, that, that was about access to resources. And that's true of everybody. Like you, you get as well as you can get, but some people are just focused on survival. And a lot of that starts out of their hands uh, with whatever circumstances they find themselves in early in life or even at birth. So for me, I was born in zip code 06109. Uh, that meant access to relatively well-funded schools. It meant being in a relatively wealthy, predominantly white neighborhood. Everything's local tax system in the U.S., which I have objections to. So that means that this is even uh, like more disparate, right? You get even higher concentrations of wealth and where you're born and where you get to go to school and what those schools look like in terms of resources is hugely different. Um, and so, as you know, there's a there's a place factor. And with that, as I've already mentioned, whiteness, there's a racial factor. Uh, it's not happenstance that white people live where they live and black people live where they live, for example. Sure. Um, there's a whole history to that that we can unpack. But I would just say some things to highlight as far as wellness, besides schooling. Um, if I was born 10 minutes north in Hartford, Connecticut, the capital, uh, I would have been in a food desert, for example. Like that's literally the technical designation, a food desert, because of the lack of accessibility of healthy, affordable food, of uh, full uh, grocery stores, as opposed to just buying cans, for example, which have a lower nutritional value if you have canned vegetables for most of your upbringing. These types of things all correlate with place. So where you are and what's there around you uh, hugely influential, hugely impactful on my wellness, everybody's wellness. So I think that's one place to start. That is really interesting. I think you've, you've teased something I definitely want to get into, and that's how we sort of end up at the places that we're at. Mm. Um, and I definitely want to get to, uh, and I feel like a great place to do that is where I'm, where I'm at in Chicagoland. Um, definitely yes. being able to talk about sort of the legacy of the suburbs and, but I'm going to get there. So that's, that's zooming out. Sure. I'm going to zoom sure. in first and just talk about, well, I mean, uh, thinking about place is pretty, has been pretty impactful for me since, since college. And I talked about place and space a little bit during the rest episode with Sarah Roop. If you haven't heard, go back and listen. But um, during that time, <laughs> do it. Uh, I think during that time, it was having to get along with different living styles when I didn't live alone. Um, and that's probably teasing a future episode with you and our other roommate uh, at the time but um so you're getting used to that and you're seeing how how if things are copacetic how that positively influences you if there's if there's strife or living styles that are coming in uh, to conflict with one another then how that impacts your wellness as a student as a, a student worker as a grad student whatever um so copacetic I, I think, copacetic i don't even know what that is 
you've been you've been in you've been in higher ed too long what are you talking about copacetic (laughs) that was before higher ed i was using that (laughs) in middle school that's right fifth grade copacetic (laughs) excuse me professor everything is not copacetic here (laughs) i went to the grocery store to get some copacetic (laughs) (laughs) i just i just googled it for for you Thank you. For, not for the, you, in, of course. The informal North American understanding of it is simply in excellent order. I like that. Ah, well, look at yeah. that. And now, then the example is, yeah, the example from uh, Oxford is he said to tell you everything is copacetic. So everything's <laughs> good. Everything's, everything's as good. it should be. Yeah, that has a, some some theological pinnings to it, for sure. If you thought about it, like, mm. you know, um, things as they were designed to be versus how they are, you know, yeah, um, yeah. before and after the fall. So yeah, no, that's, that's a regular part of my vocabulary. You know, I'm worse. Of course, of course. Or, or aspiring. So I apologize. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but when things were good in excellent order, some might say, uh, then that positively impacted my wellness. And when things weren't, when we needed to talk about things, but we hadn't had a chance to yet, when um, someone left something in the fridge too long and it started to stink and that brought up old ideas or old arguments about um, living together that negatively impacted our wellness. Then I lived alone in a studio apartment and everything was just in the same space. And that was cluttering my mind, you know? And and so Mm. now where I live now, I have an office that's connected to, uh, that's connected to my living space or my living room. And um, I know that I like won't work in my bedroom, but I will occasionally get work done um, in my living room. Uh, but I won't, I, I, uh, try not to get too much, too much focus there. A lot of my work, I want to get done in the office to actually keep that partition up, you know? Um, and I think that that does definitely positively impacts me or impacts me one way or the other, depending on how intentional I am about doing that. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good Um, point. Yeah. So that's on like a micro level, how you arrange your place can really affect you. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I think that's, that's big, but then if you were to, if you were to zoom out and part of this also feels relevant because, uh, you and I have talked about like embodiment in theology and how our seminary experience was not very embodied. No, Um, I spent most of my time in a cloud. Yeah. (laughs) I was just floating like a few feet off the ground. (laughs) That's where they wanted me to be, Steve. I don't know what to tell you. Yeah, that was the place to be. Who wouldn't want to be in a cloud? Who wouldn't want to float multiple feet off the ground? Come I on felt now. like I was just one step ahead of everybody, you know? Like, <laughs> nope. You're going to we meet were, Jesus we in the clouds, floating. and I'm... <laughs> I'll already be there. Yeah. <laughs> oh, no, you're man. right. So, you're right. Yeah. So that's part of this is where you, when you're thinking about space and place and its effects on you and how you go about even curating a space and all mm. of those things, that feels like it's connected to um, some embodiment and some understanding for the believer and, and how we walk through this life, how we yes. experience the life that we're, that we're living. Pay attention to your life, as the episode says, which I got from you. I don't know if you coined that from somewhere, but. Oh, no. It. I mean, so. it's just, I think it just comes out of one of the letters to Peter or from Peter rather. Um, uh, is it he, he like heed or pay attention to your life and your doctrine? Oh, they're, paired, okay. they're paired together. Yeah. So I'm just riffing on that. I don't know. Oh, okay. Gotcha. I see what you're doing. Yeah. See you out here. I won't take credit for the Bible. It's generally uh, enough practice. people have already done that. So yeah, don't. Yeah. Don't do <laughs> watch right, your life. Watch that, your doctrine. Way. Let me see. Yeah. <clears throat> As you're pulling that up, um, so it has like some theological implications. But uh, I think if we were to 
zoom out, that's when we start to get to, I work at a place that is located in uh, wealthy Chicagoland suburbs. And that's not how I grew up. I grew up outside of this, outside of the city itself, meaning Chicago. So still like Chicago land, but um, low income, uh, predominantly black area. And um, that makes living in the suburbs now. I mean, part of my job is that my home is located on a college campus. So that's part of the full-time work that I do. But so in that way, I'm, I'm very grateful for it. It's been a great experience, but there's a discomfort that I have, um, I think, with the legacy of the suburbs in Chicago. You don't say. Why yeah. ever, why ever would you say that? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, there are two books, I think, that if for our listeners, if anybody's interested in like learning a little bit more, um, that can tell you a little bit about Chicago. Actually, there's tons of works on this, but ones that I've read in their entirety are Shades of White Flight, Evangelical Congregations and Urban Departure. That's by Mark Mulder. And then Fear Thy Neighbor, Blockbusting and White Flight in 1960 Chicago. And that's by Mike Reynolds. Um, and so those sort of help you to understand the layout that we just, you know, the roads that we, uh, the roads that we take to get to and from our homes and to work, the, the size of the homes and the, how, how far we are from the city, how everything is constructed. It has this history. It has this legacy um, that is deeply rooted in, in racist practices for sure. Um, and I can't remember the author. I don't think it was from either of these books, but an author uh, sort of makes a point about when understanding white flight, that's even not necessarily a sufficient um, uh, label when trying mm -hmm. to talk about the formation of the suburbs, because it almost suggests that as like, let's say the great migration occurred and more and more people of color um, are moving into these large urban centers and moving into spaces that used to be white in the North, uh, white flight almost suggests that white people just immediately started leaving and then just building um their taking their affluence and yeah taking, yeah it taking does it elsewhere that's kind uh, of what i've been picturing am i am i wrong to picture that i don't think it's complete and that's what this author was saying i before i, I gotta maybe i'll add as a footnote to this episode i can't remember where i read it but basically they were making the point that um before the actual flight there was fight there was ah, actual pushing back yes. against people that looked different, that were different, that were going to bring down property value, that were going to bring violent crime into these neighborhoods, all of these things. Mm -hmm. um, and so, and then if you only look at like these crime rights, where like we think about the city and other, you think about the cities, uh, we think about this is how big cities work and they're violent. Um, they, they often have a violent um, piece to them. So as crime rates are like rising and violent crime is rising, you look at, well, the point, the reason why none of this was like this before poor people showed up, before black people showed up, those kinds of things. So um, it almost, I think it could be maybe called white fight and flight um, or yeah. something like that maybe. But so that's not my original thought. I, I will definitely find out um, where, I, where, I remember, where I remember picking that up. But I think that's relevant too is it's not just that people ran from urban centers. It's that first it was like this fighting back against it happening um, implicitly and explicitly, you know, when thinking about how we were going to limit what people had access to thinking about redlining in Chicago and how that has changed the landscape um, of the city and surrounding neighborhoods yes. is really, really important. And if you don't know those things, then I think you'll just chalk it up to, I don't like the city. I don't like big spaces. Uh, I don't like the crime. You'll think it's just a matter of preference. And for sure, I have friends who they prefer the country or they prefer quieter areas. There's some who like the hustle and bustle of the city. 
So there's preferences, but there is what influences those preferences that I think probably, not probably, <laughs> I think need to be more more well-known, more widely known, yes. um, more, more widely grappled with. Otherwise, it helps to perpetuate this idea that, well, we're in these higher income places, we're in these safe areas because we're not causing problems or we're doing things the way that we should be. We just follow the American dream. And if you want, you need to do the same thing. Basically, none of it's race-based. It's just... Um, it's just hard work, basically. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And In the American mythos, if you mind your own business, you can't sin. There's no way. <laughs> right? There's there's no way I can negatively impact anybody if I'm minding right. my own business. It's like the highest virtue for us. So my, and minding my own business as an American includes me and mine, right? So if I can grow my wealth by buying a few properties, renting them out, it doesn't matter you know, where that is. It doesn't matter how much I charge. I'm minding my own business. If you don't want to live here, move somewhere else. <laughs> if you can't afford it, too bad. Like this is there's all these layers of like if I can just save my money, grow it as fast as possible, take minimal risks, give my kids the best possible experience with a really well-funded school, you know, uh, whatever. You you go down the list. There's nothing wrong with that in our minds in the American mythos, especially with white people. <laughs> so don't mess with that, Steve. We can't talk about that today. We can't go too deep. I'm glad I, I didn't wanna, mention I just want to let you know, neither of us are talking about that. You know, <laughs> we, haven't, Ooh, we haven't already walked into it either. No, we're it's not. It's a good thing we're not recording, man. No, yeah. Okay, let's, let's start now. Let's you start. Your bullet. All right, yeah. welcome to Tesserai. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and that, that kind of speaks to this, and this is a little bit off the topic of wellness, but like, like you mentioned, everything fits into this into this idea of uh, what Tesserai is anyway. So yeah, we can go trying there. to piece it all together. Yeah. I was watching a little um, last week. Uh, I was watching a little bit of this documentary about um, first lady, Michelle Obama, former first lady, Michelle Obama, forever first lady. And uh, yeah, you she, don't have to say former with me. It's okay. <laughs> <laughs> I wanted to make it clear. I'm like, yes, I understand that she's no longer in the white house and it doesn't sound like she's trying to get back, but you know, she's, she's doing her thing. But anyway, so she was sharing that uh, she was told by a teacher at some point when she was young that she wasn't Princeton material. And Ooh, first right. of all, just keep these things to yourself. Like, I don't, <laughs> I don't understand. <laughs> but, Why do you have to say yeah, that? It's part of the road. Um, we, yeah, we wouldn't have nearly as many great stories uh, from from like iconic people if it weren't for their naysayers, I guess. But. Hey, don't um, don't don't give a shout out to the naysayers though. They shouldn't hey, they shouldn't have said nay. Shout out to the naysayers out there. <laughs> please please don't They're be that person. <laughs> right. So anyway, this 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 teacher told uh, Michelle Obama that, and clearly that was let's just put it mildly that was incorrect. Um, and so <laughs> one thing that she that she that she mentioned, um, and I'm paraphrasing all of this, but she was talking about how. So she kind of made it to the top, right? The pinnacle, you know, this is Ivy League. And and what she figured out was <laughs> basically like, they're not all that. And they also don't know how they got there. No. So no. we <laughs> no only, in, in the US, we usually want to talk about like, when we have conversations about fairness and equity, we want to, you know, kind of bash affirmative action, which is definitely a flawed system. But when we look at it, it's like, you got this because you're black or you got this because you're a woman. You got this because you're, you know, a person, you go down the list, right? You got this because of that representation um, and affirmative action. And she mentioned that there's all types of different affirmative action <laughs> um, that have, that have existed that allows certain, usually men, um, to be in these spaces that are considered, 
um, powerful and influential and iconic, all those, all of those things. And so that's connected to this too, is the not, it's the not knowing, you know, it's the Mm -hmm. kind of living, going through, really being under somewhat of a facade that it was your hard work alone. And I think that's super relevant socially, but also if we think Christianly, um, we tie so many of our values together. We had a nationalism episode and we talked about like how the, how the U S and this being this idea, this Christian country that's tied into our faith. And if we're not careful, I think we can tie our success into that too. So of course we say as an individual, uh, work hard, be a good steward of what God has given you and then don't make excuses and you'll be successful. And, um, I don't have any problem with working hard or with pushing yourself. Um, but realizing that we have different decks that we're, that are given to us and, um, and what we do with those are really, really important and and can really make the difference. You're right. 10 minutes down the road, you didn't make the choice of where you were born. Um, you had nothing to do with that. Um, that doesn't mean that you didn't work hard, you know, like I lived with you. I know you worked hard to get your MDiv. You know, I I, I already know that most of the time, sometimes, you know, most of the time, you know, sometimes, but yeah, it's, 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 it is the not knowing for me. I think that that can contribute to your facade of wellness, but also your lack of wellness too. So we need to, we need to be aware of those things and uh, place and place and race are huge parts of that. That's a good point, man. I I would yeah. just say, as far as Hartford's concerned with the history of this and the intersection of this, um, like up until the sixties, right, we had explicit racial restrictions on mortgages. So that significantly narrowed options for, Anybody who wasn't white to live in the suburbs, uh, this is like during that period of time of white fight and flight and Hartford became even more deeply segregated than it had been. Black population mostly focusing, occupying in the north end of Hartford, white population shifting west uh, toward West Hartford and Avon, which became even more affluent suburbs. Uh, And with that, like we know some of the effects, less job creation in Hartford, less income, higher poverty levels. And now, like, I don't know what the exact numbers are, but we have a huge commuter population uh, to Hartford every day. So even though it's got all these major companies, uh, less than a quarter of the money that is made in Hartford stays in Hartford. Because, yeah, everybody's coming in from these suburbs. They work at their building in insurance, typically. We used to be the insurance capital of the U.S. Uh, We still have a lot of holdings in that zone. Um, But, yeah, I mean, it's, it's staggering when you think about that. So you have all these people coming in, working their job, making money, and leaving, and then spending that money elsewhere in the suburbs. Uh, and so that's how business works. You know, there's layers and layers of this, reinforcing what what kinds of people have uh, things people have access to. And now, as you know, Olivia, my wife, is a public school teacher in Hartford, so she's she's dealing with under resourced school systems all day long, every day. And right now, of course, they're seeing short. There were shortage before COVID. Now there's even more shortage. So it's like everybody's constantly, essentially, covering each other. Like I need to fill in this classroom so that you can be relieved to go to this classroom so that you can cover somebody else. Like we have chains of coverage where people play musical chairs with classrooms just so somebody can go to the bathroom or this kind of thing. So I mean, it's 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 really absurd and and appalling and sad. But this is all connected to where you are. Uh, and, and how well you can be where you are. I mean, and this this is even like not even getting into the depths of what it means to live on stolen land. Like I live on Wangunk land and I didn't even know the name of the land that I was on until I was like 22. 
Uh, so I, I grew up here, spent my first 17 years here, moved out to college where I met you, Steve. And uh, it wasn't until like age 22 that I knew the Wangunk people still live here, called it Wangunk land long before European uh, settlers and colonists arrived, right? And um, and so I'd be curious, you know, I've been I've been plugging in more and more to indigenous voices and indigenous Christian voices, but I would really love to hear what they'd have to say at this table right now um, about what wellness could even look like, given how disconnected, uh, let's call it the colonized way of life is uh, to land, right? Our ability to even relate to the dirt, like to know where our food comes from, especially in the suburbs and the cities. I know this is a huge problem, the sense of disconnection to, to the sacrifice of animal life, to eat meat, uh, to farming practices. It all feels like a faraway thing to us. Uh, and so that creates this callousness that being born in a certain place reinforces shopping habits. I'd love to see more sermons in churches on how to shop like a Christian. You know, like this is as important as almost any other dimension of your life. If you believe that you're putting your money where your mouth is as a believer, right? So I want to spend money in a way that that doesn't reinforce or encourage or support slaves, right? And yet this is typical. This is so typical, right? To shop at Walmart, it's the path of least resistance. Convenience is a major idol. I fall for it still, but I'm fighting it, you know? I'm fighting McDonald's. <laughs> I'm fighting against <laughs> Amazon, believe it or not, even in the holidays. And, uh, mm. you know, it's, this, is, this is just, it becomes a, a fixture of our lives that we build everything around, that we, we expect now place to be irrelevant, right? We expect that anything we order virtually on the internet can arrive within two days for free if we have Prime, you know, on Amazon. Like, we think place is irrelevant now, um, so I think all of that needs to be peeled back as we as we listen to indigenous voices. What do they have to say about reconnecting uh, to the land? Um, what does that look like for a person in the city, right? Uh, because on the one hand, it can be very disorienting and disconnecting to live in a city. On the other hand, it's statistically one of the best things you can do for the planet. If you love nature, stay away from it. <laughs> <laughs> like seriously, if you want to have the min a minimal negative impact on nature, live in a city. If you want a TED talk on that, look up walkable cities. Um, I think his name is Jeff Speck. Um, but you know, there's there's work that's been done on this uh, to suggest yeah. that we can live in a way that doesn't just tear the earth apart and and really reek of poor stewardship hmm. uh, of the created order. So I think all that needs to be brought into this. Um, I have a thought. Did you have that? Did you ever find that passage? Yes. Yeah. First Timothy four sixteen. Watch your life and your doctrine closely. Persevere in them, because if you do, you will save both yourself and your hearers. So mm. these are admonitions or instructions to a, yeah. a teacher, right? From yep. Paul to Timothy. Mm -hmm. Watch your life, man. Watch your life. <clears throat> okay. So it's a great point regarding thinking about land and indigenous peoples in the U S and, uh, and right after Thanksgiving as we're oh, true <laughs> that. Yeah. yeah. Um, there's a way that I'm tied to this. There, there's so much that I need to learn more. So, and, and I, sometimes I, I, that's that I feel the burden of sharing on a topic of a podcast is if I'm not doing something perfectly, then how could I talk about it? But I think that's 
there's hopefully some humility in there, but that's also a way that you just kind of keep going as usual. You know, um, that's how the status quo remains is if you can't call society and yourself out, then, you know, you just don't talk about it. So this is, this is, this is part of that. My, um, I think my experience thinking like current, more currently regarding um, how we think about land and indigenous people in the u.s it has been around mascots and uh, yeah yeah so in you know i love sports and so i remember growing up watching the illini games and seeing Ch- chief illini wick um you know like dancing at halftime and i think they would i think it was i, I don't know actually who it was I, I can't remember if it was a student who they would have do it or if it was someone from the tribe but um and so they don't do that anymore. You know, they're still the fighting Illini, but they don't they don't do that anymore. Um, but have thought about um, how just up until recently we had a team called the Washington Redskins, mm. a very prominent team. You mm-hmm. know, mm-hmm. Um, and that and that and and all those aren't created equal, right? I think I think that's different. Having a Redskin as your as your mascot as your team name is to me is a little different than the Florida State Seminoles, for instance, you know, mm. who it sounds like from the little that I've heard um, have much more of a relationship with as an institution. Um, ah, yes. Uh, with the Seminole people than like others do. Like anything, there's a spectrum, might. right? Yeah, exactly. So I don't want to lump them all in the same, but that is that is still part of wellness. And I think the reason why I'm feeling like even now we're, our conversation is shifting away from wellness is because of how individualized we are. Because we are talking about a collective wellness right now, yes, we um, are. a wellness of a country in this case. But yeah. it feels like we're off topic because we're not nearly as individualized. <laughs> it's so, true, isn't it? We yeah, feel like really we're messing is. up right now because we're not giving everyone five tips and tricks at home, exactly on how to, on how to be well. Like you know, <laughs> cut out the fruit snacks, replace it with fruit. Don't do this to yourself. <laughs> you know, drink more water. You know you should. Like yeah, you could find all that. That's easy. Just Google it. You know, yep, but it's true. Like, yes, yes, yes. And yes, it all matters. It all matters. But, but yeah, you're yeah. right. It feels like we're breaking the rules right now. <laughs> mm-hmm, for sure. So helping to see that's a, and that's a lifelong endeavor is trying to the dance between individual and collective it, it, is, is so important. And we're, we're scared of that. I think in a more individualist society, or I should say the individualist society. <laughs> we rank pretty Earth. highly, right? Yeah. At least on planet earth. Um, <laughs> well, come on. <laughs> <laughs> what <laughs> yes of course on planet earth i was just talking about uh, well, yes okay well, let's leave that aside yeah the um but on hofstede's dimensions i don't know who ranks mm-hmm. highest but u.s is like if you if you get, look at our score on individualism i think we're an 86 out of 100 uh let wow. me pull it up right now uh oh sorry 91 91 out of 100 uh, so very just went up high. five points in the last 10 seconds. Wow. That, that was me. I just pumped we'll it. We'll be at a hundred by dinner. Oh, okay. Gotcha. <laughs> no, the first one was a mistake. Yeah. Gotcha. Yeah. So but, who's yeah. higher than us? I don't know. All I have, you have to punch in individual countries and see, so they don't have them all laid out at once. Come on. Why can't I have this thing instantly that I want without <laughs> putting in any work? You, come on, Steve. It's ridiculous. <laughs> Ridiculous. What about work ethic? We were just talking about this. <laughs> <laughs> That's different. It wasn't about me. <laughs> okay. So uh, you did, when I first uh, asked you about um, like jumping on and co-hosting with 
with me. Uh, you mentioned, you gave a little bit of a hot take about DIYs, like do-it-yourselves, do-it-yourself uh, yeah. videos and articles and stuff. And I'm like, <clears throat> I was like, I was with you. And then you said that and I was like, slow your roll, buddy. <laughs> like, hold on now. Because I have found a lot of fruit there in terms of things I would not have tried otherwise. Now, yes, I definitely yes. get the instant gratification piece. I just want to like, wait, well, let's peer into everything a little bit. But I feel that a lot because I'm like, uh, I grew up like working on cars sometimes. And, um, and, but as cars like change, you have, you know, every car is, every brand is different. So you want to, want to make sure that you're changing your own oil, right? You know, just for instance. So you can do that in six, seven minutes. And if I, if I didn't do that, then I'd be going to Jiffy Lube and yes. not paying actually a ton more than it would just to get my own oil, but I at least can have assurance that my oil was changed. Um, but I'm doing it myself. That's a little bit of an empowering thing. You know, when I first started learning how to cut hair, um, ah, shout yeah. out to Trey Rubin. But when, Thanks, um, Trey. And when I wasn't watching Trey, I was like looking at YouTube videos, doing all these things. So I, you know, could learn faster. Um, so, yeah, but I want to I want to hear your I want to hear your issues with DIYs. I'm guessing it's similar to the instant gratification idea of like Amazon and stuff. But. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you about all my issues, Steve. I'll tell you about all of them. That's what you asked for, right? So that's what I asked for. (laughs) No, I I think, I think you're right. There's a lot of value in people finding access to skills and just sharing the wealth of information, trying to get the internet out to people. We need knowledge equity. That's what Wikimedia Foundation is all about. For example, just trying to get everything available to everybody in every language so that if Hmm. they have the internet, they can learn something they want to learn. Um, I mean, just recently I, I changed my brakes for the first time on my car and I was terrified because you don't want to mess up your brakes. You know, this isn't like yeah. a windshield wiper, you know, like, come on. So, and it wasn't a true DIY because I was like calling this guy that I know and bothering him like every half hour. Be like, are you sure? Are you sure I should do this? But in general, YouTube carried me most of the way through and mm. we're still alive. We're still alive still about alive. eight months later, I want to say. So... We went on a major road trip with those brakes. Everything was okay. <laughs> um, so it feels good, doesn't it, when you have that kind of thing happen and you it's a win. It's under your belt. You know, so I won't I won't say something bad about DIY categorically, but I will say that there's a lot of saturation right now. There's just an abundance of low quality, do-it-yourself kind of material circulating the internet. And you just have to be careful not to like clickbait yourself <laughs> you know like it's just so easy it's human it's human nature you're glancing through articles we all are tired at the end of the day we're scrolling on something on our phone and you see like three steps to a better you and you're like well i need to be a better me <laughs> so you just go down the rabbit hole <laughs> who me i do want to be better <laughs> wait it's only three steps you know <laughs> um, and, and i think we've all been there to some extent if you're in the self-development space you've seen this kind of stuff and there's there's a lot of stuff that just plays into other issues like our worship of celebrity, you know, like like um, this is the one tip that Elon Musk does to make sure that he always has an excellent Musk, you know, and it's like, come on, like, I don't I don't need to click on this, but other people will. But yeah, I think I think that's what I have to say about DIY is that you just need to be discerning and make sure that you're not falling for something cheap. You know, people really overpromise and underdeliver, and we don't want to lead people to this impression that um, they can just easily fix everything about themselves. Mm. Um, A lot of DIY is do it yourself in the individualistic sense. It's not a communally oriented 
uh, approach for one thing. I mean, we could we could pull apart all the general uh, risks, uh, yeah, but yeah. but I, I'd say also you want to you don't want to do everything yourself, even if you could. That's not the ideal for most people from a wellness standpoint, <laughs> from a workload standpoint, mental load. Um, so what are the ways that you can lean on the people around you and their skills to learn something together? I love that I have some friends that I can call up who literally are down to just fix stuff if it breaks. <laughs> like I can just call up Matt Lloyd and be like, hey, man, I don't know how to do this. Do you know how to do this? He's like, nah, but <laughs> let's figure it out together. <laughs> you know, I'll come over. Uh, you bring your chainsaw. I'll bring mine. Hopefully we'll both live, you know. Um, uh <laughs> Hmm. Maybe cut that out. I don't know. Uh, okay. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Maybe that was off the rails a little bit. But we did do chains, <laughs> chainsaw work together. But in that case, we did know how to use them. <laughs> Glad to hear. Yeah. But yeah. But yeah, Steve. I know you've been asking me the questions. Um. But but talk to me about about your sense of how these things connect. And you can go anywhere you like. But you've been trying, like anybody who's relatively self aware, wants a good life. You've been trying to improve. Uh, your situation, your health, um, maybe your connection to community. You're in a highly relational job. You probably have to manage the risk of burnout very often. Uh, talk to me about this journey of wellness. You know, I, you've talked about the different spaces you've been in. I mean, feel free to share anything in this zone, but I want to hear from you. I've been talking too much. No, I, th thanks for asking, but uh, it definitely feels, feels, feels pretty balanced to me. I think um, <clears throat> so along the along the area of mental health, because that's a huge part of, mm. of wellness that we probably could have earmarked more time for. But it's in these conversations that we've had for sure over the years. But the stigma is increasingly crumbling around mental health, um, and and I'm thankful for that. I think it's there's still there's still a lot of work to do in that area. And for Christians to think well about the pursuit of mental health, I uh, have talked about my, my knee injury that I had on here um, that, that I had over the summer. Um, and I did not forsake prayer, you know, and, um, and I'm certainly open to the Lord performing a miracle where I tear multiple ligaments and then the Lord repairs them right there, yeah. you know? Yep. And I was surrounded by Christians, surrounded by my team when the injury happened. And um, and I calmly told them to call the paramedics. <laughs> and um, and then I went to the went to the hospital, and it was you know super long wait. That's a whole another thing about the our, our healthcare system. But I digress. Um, but there was this there was this pursuit of of health, and it was understood that because of this physical injury. You needed to be about your wellness. You needed to go to your doctor's appointments. You needed to have these x-rays done. You needed to have an MRI. Um, you needed to work things out with insurance. Um, another thing that I'm extremely grateful for when looking at the astronomical prices uh, of what it takes to be well in the U.S. But yes, that was um, that I had to do that for my wellness. And of course, it felt it was an emergency. I went to the ER. It was an emergency, you know, so you didn't have to think too much like, am I being well? It's like, no, I need help and I can't walk. Um, but as it got better and better and over these past few months uh, of therapy and going through that, it's a pursuit of wellness. I'm trying to get back not to where I just where I was. I'm trying to get better, you know, I'm basically adopting the idea that I am a professional athlete and I will get back to 
the game, even though nobody's calling. Um, <laughs> so, I'm calling, Steve. I'm thanks. calling. Thanks. You got Appreciate one person. <laughs> <laughs> um, but that kind of work and resiliency when it comes to our physical health just isn't present in the same way with our mental health. Yes. And, um, wow, and I get, true. I can understand the whys and how we, where we've been and how we think about it and so many pieces. But ultimately, I think Christians need to be better about how we talk about it, how we talk about and go about our, the pursuit of our mental health. That was huge for me. And, and you remember in seminary, like they have you go to account because they think they're thinking of pastors needing to needing to do referrals or being able to counsel people in different spaces. And so we had counseling sessions yes. and we had like the minimum amount of ones. And I had an amazing counselor and um, and she asked me questions that I hadn't been asked before and and challenged um, notions that I had, like even Christian notions that I had. And to the point where we had the minimum sessions and then I signed up for more because I was like, this is, I haven't had something like this before. And I didn't feel like I forsook my faith. I didn't feel like I was weak. Um, I felt like I was, I was very thankful that the program had asked that of me and, uh, and that I got to do it, you know? So now every counselor, every counseling session that you have, they're not all created equal. So finding what, what works for you and not having just this like, human resilience or human um solutions piece that that's key um i get the sweatshirts the like jesus plus therapy um but like for me i i wouldn't rock it just mostly because i'm like it sounds like so jesus isn't sufficient you know and so we're we're more used to the equation of <laughs> jesus plus nothing equals everything like that's a beautiful equation and uh it sounds Probably. like if you were to take away therapy then you know jesus isn't quite frankly, is not enough, you know? It's interesting, um, like, because I probably wouldn't rock either t-shirt at this point. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> like, I'm just, I don't, I just don't want people to get the wrong idea either way. Exactly. It's more <laughs> around the idea. It's more around the idea. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> that's um, a good word though, man. So that, yeah, that, that's how I think about that. That's one way in which I pursue it. Also, sometimes try to gently push, but help um, others like in, in the work that I do to pursue that wellness, that wholeness, you know, because I mean, the wholeness that's, that's directly tied to the reason why Tessera exists too, is these, these believing that this fragmentation of the human, um, whether physically away from our emotions, whether um, just in a myriad of ways is, mm. is actually costing us and it's breaking down. So even our thoughts around what mental health does and the stigma around it, when we as Christians buy into that and don't put in some work ourselves, we hurt each other, we hurt ourselves, um, and, uh, and I think we hurt the, the cause, the cause of Christ in that way. Yes. Cause they're looking, everybody's looking at Christians, just like they look at everybody, they pay attention to how people around them act and, um, they're seeing an incomplete picture or a very, uh, disconnected picture of humanity. Yeah. You know, so I totally feel that man. So before we close up, Steve, how do we fix this? I was going to ask you that. That's. <laughs> oh, I had no idea. <laughs> uh, well, neither do I, but I mean, that's where we start, right? I probably, we acknowledge that, that we're part of the problem while we're trying to be part of the solution, that that's, right. that's part of life and mm-hmm. we're in process. We don't need to have quote unquote polished answers. Uh, but maybe it's best to suggest that your listeners do some experiments in transformation, um, step into something that where they might discover 
the previously undiscovered. Um, I'll give you an example that I think will make, if, you're, if your listener base is a lot of people raised in Christian homes in the U.S., I think this will be a strange proposal, and that's probably why it's all the more important. But here's one. Uh, I was on the phone with my friend uh, yesterday. My friend has been focused on embodiment and reflections on what it means to have a body, to live in a body uh, intensely for the last several years. And they said to me, um, you really have to try this. You got to try moving your body, you know, get somewhere alone where you're not as (laughs) self-conscious and try to move your body until you find a way that feel that you're moving that feels especially good for whatever reason. You don't have to interrogate it. You don't have to play Sigmund Freud and psychoanalyze yourself. It could be dancing. You could put on music. It could be exercise, something. Um, some people already know what this is. Maybe they found a sweet spot with embodiment and they just know that they love to run. They're a runner or they love to play ball, basketball, baseball, something like this. Some of them already know they love to dance, but a lot of people don't know what to do with their bodies at all. (laughs) Um, maybe that's you. Uh, one experiment could be to try this and, and just get curious about why the Lord made your body in such a way that you feel this curious joy uh, in the way that you move, uh, once you find that. I can, I can tell you for a while as a Christian, I was kind of trained to have an aversion to yoga. <laughs> and I get that. There's an argument to be made for certain aspects of that in a public-facing way. Mm-hmm. Like, I wouldn't just go to any country not knowing the religious context and practice yoga in public, right? Right, Because I don't want to send the wrong message, and that might mean different things in different places. But for me and myself, as someone who's following Jesus, I am just stretching my body and breathing. There's, <laughs> there's not a ton more to it. Uh, I'm trying to take care of my body and in so doing, take care of my soul, right? Um, and, uh, and so there was a while where maybe a year into some regular stretching and breathing at home, I started to find a sweet spot where I noticed that if I did certain stretches, it had a very uh, powerful impact in a short time on my anxiety, and my goodness, what a gift from God that is. And I'm so glad that I explored long enough to find it so that I could use all the available tools that he's given us, right, to to be a better person, a better husband for my wife. I mean, really, to be emotionally present, to process my anxiety in a healthy way makes it just huge dividends for all of my relationships, for my work, for my prayer life. There was a time where I couldn't pray hardly at all because I was so arrested by anxiety. Hmm. And of all things, what I discovered was kneeling. (laughs) Kneeling helped me. Kneeling saved my prayer life. I don't know exactly how it works. You know, I'm sure it's all connected to the brain, the body, the soul. Um, But it it helps with my focus, my anxiety. It calms me and it gets me into a place where I can really pray and press into that. I didn't discover that before because I was just too busy trying to journal away all my problems. Right? Mm. That's one method. It helped in some ways, but it was limited. So that's p- taking another piece of those tessera and putting it together. Yeah. But yeah, that's one example of a holy experiment. What, what, what do you think, Steve? What comes to mind? Hmm. I love that. And because you mentioned prayer, I think I'll start with that. I think that we are at this stage because of our access to uh, technology and to resources, whether short, you know, four minute video on how to change your oil or you follow a blog or a, you know, a vlog, whatever, <clears throat> read articles, you, you have your, your talking heads that you follow because we're so open to receiving 
information from someone. We may not, some of us, is, we have a lot of width, so we get a lot of uh, uh, different opinions. And other of us have just the depth. We listen to one, two voices, and we go deep within that person um, and try to understand everything that they're saying and take what they say as gospel. So because we're so open, um, I think there's a beauty to inviting God into what he already knows. Um, and there's a, a seriousness of which you can take that so it doesn't become just like this Hellenistic um, uh, call to a distant deity, you know, to show up and bail you out of your issues. You know, you want you want Zeus to, to show up in this way and, and get you out of this trouble. Um, it is actually uh, understanding that the God who made your body, the God who made you, um, is invested in what it is that you face and what it is that you're that you're dwelling in, and uh, and so I think I think there's a there's there's a real power to that that is different that is different than how I've thought of prayer in the past um, because growing up in the church I was always in prayer you know all the time uh, so. I think that's that's one. And then I think practically it is like it's just easier not to interrogate the the less comfortable areas or of, of your life or the areas in which you think you've already had the answer. But mm. opening it up and interrogating how you got to a certain conclusion, how you adopted and then being able to put in work is is, is pretty key in, in pursuing wellness, which seems um, kind of contrary. Like, well, I have to work in order to be well, but that's because of how we negatively think about work. We're called to work and we're called to rest. We mentioned that on the rest episode. You know, I've heard you say that many a time, Steve. And I, I think there, because we work so hard and we glorify work, somehow we glorify work, but we also like live for the weekend and can't wait to get away from work, you know? Ah, uh, yes. Like, and, and so because we have that inconsistency, I don't think we have a healthy relationship with what it means to, to work. And if we don't have that relationship, then we don't have a healthy relationship um, with how to rest either. So I think I think that's pretty significant um, to actually put put that work in. Like you mentioned, the Amazon piece. I I'm still wrestling with that a bit. I, I feel like there's it's easy. We do that with we do this with we've done this with organizations before, like Viacom and all kinds of companies where we're like this massive conglomerate that takes all of our money. You're like, well, they got big somehow. Somebody had to somebody had to make them that way, and they're made up of people just like we are. So when we like criticize political parties, criticize big companies that are seemingly taking advantage of society. Um, sometimes I try to like humanize the people, not that they need the defense, but I humanize like the people behind them. Cause I'm like, uh, they're just people and there's people the same way that we are. And I haven't seen anything in the public that would tell me that none of us couldn't be a Jeff Bezos. Um, you know, meaning for like in a, in a, in a, in a bad way, people who are villainizing him, if we had the, if we had the idea and if we had the resources that helped him do what he did, you know? Oh yeah. Too many so, of us would easily become all the things yeah, we criticize. I get that. For sure. Yeah. It doesn't but mean to, you don't But to answer your question, how did they become so big? Basically exploitation. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Fair. I was getting there, but you're absolutely right. There's, there's more to it. So I try to be careful yeah, with my yeah. critique, but um, with my criticizing, but also, um, but I, I, I do want to be able to critique it. And you're absolutely right. You're absolutely right that you get there. I'm like, I've rocked Nikes for basketball for years. And mm, um, yeah. I don't totally know what's up with the China question. I'm like, what, what, what's the deal here? Is there, there's this ba essentially like slave labor happening elsewhere. You got this many companies, like when Steve Jobs was alive, he made it clear, like, we're not coming back to the U S manufacturing wise. Apple's not coming back. Like, <laughs> why would we, 
you know how much we make by not having manufacturing here, you know? That's, there's so, money to be made. That's right. Yeah. You know? So there's so many deeper questions to ask. And if I were to not ask that question sincerely with means with like the desire to change it, if I ran across answers that I didn't like, exactly. then I think I'd be, be more disintegrated, you know? Yes. Um, oh, you yeah. just hit a nail on the head, brother. Yeah. Because how can we be well if we worship mammon, you know? Mm. And that is a deep thing for us to, a thread for us to pull on as well, but perhaps in the space of another time. Yes, absolutely. But, but yeah. Thanks so much for joining, man. I appreciate you. It's always great talking to you. I'm sure we'll have you back and hopefully uh, next time Bob's in town, maybe the three of us can chat up something new or continue on this wellness journey. But there's so much there, so much to keep going. Um, give my love to Olivia. And uh, I it's, will. it's been great talking with you, man. Yeah. Can I close with this word, Steve? Yeah, please do. For anybody who's hanging in there and for whatever set of reasons is not feeling well, uh, I just thought of Matthew 12, 20, and then also Psalm, uh, I think it's 103, 14. Uh, Matthew first, a bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering wick he will not snuff out till he has brought justice through to victory. And Psalm 103, uh, 14, for he knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. I just think that's a picture of the tenderness of the Lord, that even if you're hanging in there, um, you're not alone. You're cared for and you're loved. And uh, when you take an interest in your well-being, uh, you are joining the Lord. He already has a greater interest <laughs> than you do. So have some solace in that. Uh, he won't. He won't snuff you out. Thanks again, Steve. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Uh, as you know, you can find us on Twitter, on Instagram, and on Facebook. What? <laughs> Boing. <laughs> I'm keeping it. I'm keeping it. I'm Keep it. Good old Facebook. I think they Good just rebranded. Didn't they just change their name to Facebook? <laughs> or was it Bookface? Sure. I forget. It, it was one of the two. Yeah. It's one of the two. All right. So you can find us on social media platforms, various ones. You know them. And uh, join us in the conversation and tell us your thoughts. Um, and we look forward to more episodes, more wrestlings with what it means to be well, and more of Steve Durgan in the future. Oh, Until next time. Yeah. Till next time. This has been Tesseract. <laughs>